If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com 1212 This is our number 1 of the World According to Zig podcast for this December 31st 2000 17. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. This is our final episode of 2017 and we only have two more that are scheduled to come out of this particular studio. And after that, it's going to be a crapshoot. I I expect that the podcast will continue However, it will not be on a weekly basis. It may be more based on what's going on in the news. It will probably be somewhere in the realm of twice a month. So we're going to be not doing nearly as many episodes in 2018. Uh, why? Well, it's a complex series of reasons, but uh, probably best summed up my my daughter Grace when she said, "It's costing money." <laughs> Like everything else, it comes down to money. Uh, but I do hope to be able to continue the podcast in some significant form in 2018. But we only have, uh, on a weekly basis, this, followed by two more to start uh, 2018 scheduled. As of right now, we'll keep you updated on that. Hope you had a uh, very Merry Christmas. Uh, we have a great uh, Christmas, uh, post-Christmas surprise for you this week because we've got three hours all of which I expect to be outstanding. In hour number 2, we're going to be joined by our favorite guest, Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth who checks in with us I'd say about once a quarter. I think he was our second guest of this year and is he's going to also be the last guest of this year as we review this crazy 2017 and look ahead to what the political landscape will be in 2018. And then in hour number 3, we'll do a special hour number 3. Uh, which I expect to be uh, <laughs> quite interesting and entertaining because um this week the Washington Post finally came out with their extensive <laughs> investigation of the so-called Penn State uh, Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky scandal which um I was not mentioned in although I <laughs> was intimately involved with and uh, I want to share with you Uh, some text messages that I exchanged with the reporter on this story that are flat out hilarious and far far more interesting than the article that ran itself which was a complete and total joke 
and uh, utter waste of resources. My God, uh, I cannot believe that the Washington Post wasted that much time and money on a complete and total nothing burger. It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's what they did, and that'll be the focus of hour number three, as well as I'll be giving more information on what I've been working on, <clears throat> which has been um, somewhat delayed because of what the Washington Post uh, was doing. So it's all interrelated, and it's all fascinating stuff. That'll be in hour number three. As I said, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. Our Christmas was good. Uh, Grace, our uh, five-year-old daughter, of course, you know, if you think of belief in Santa and Christmas magic as a bell curve, right? You know, the first year or two, you're kind of learning about it. And then eventually, you know, it hits peak and then, you know, dips into being an adult and realizing it's all a bunch of crap. I would say that Grace is right at the top of that bell curve right now. Um, but she might be trending now downward. Uh, at five, I've always thought five is your peak year for Christmas slash Santa Claus. And um, Grace absolutely is in 100% belief, but she's also starting to ask some questions. Some very serious questions, as you know from her appearances on this show. She's a very inquisitive little girl. And I've always believed that she was going to figure this out faster than we were hoping that she would, or certainly her mother was hoping uh, that she would, and faster than I feared, because that's, that's the part of this that I hate. I mean, <laughs> here I, I, my whole life, I've been very skeptical of whether or not we should be teaching our kids about Santa Claus, mainly because I dread what's going to happen when she realizes that dad has been lying to her all these years and creating this ruse. Uh, in fact, I even wrote an article about this for media, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And I really urge you to do so for several reasons. One, because I talk about this issue in general, and I relate it to Donald Trump. I compare Donald Trump and Santa in a way that I think is both humorous and hopefully enlightening. Uh, there's even a, a rather funny list of the similarities between Santa Claus and Trump. I was kicking myself because I did forget one that was rather obvious, which is that they both wear red hats a lot. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of others that are on the list, and I think you'll get some amusement uh, from. And then the th final reason to check out that article is that it actually has photos of my children, including Grace and my news daughter, Diana, with Santa Claus, and they're adorable photos. So make sure you check those out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But with regard to Grace, I'm, I'm really thinking, and I've always felt, that if we, can, if we get to seven, she's five now, if we get to seven, that's going to be, with her really believing, that's going to be a, more than I would have expected. It's about as much as we can expect, I think. And even though she's all in this year, I think next year is going to be her... Her, I'm starting to get skeptical, but I'm still believing because, you know, it's too dangerous not to believe year. And then by seven, you know, usually, you know, my recollection and interpretation is you get one year where the kid doesn't really believe, but they pretend to just to kind of placate you and because they're hedging their bets a little bit. I'm hoping we'll do better than that at seven, but that's that could be where we are. It's just a gut. And I actually think that this damn elf on the shelf is going to be the biggest problem because she's so into the elf on the shelf. Uh, Eli, we call him. And um, but, you know, the, the elf on the shelf is just a damn doll. And by next year, 
you know, if we bring out the elf on the shelf again, she's going to go, what the hell is that? Because in her mind, it's, you know, she won't have sent, seen it for 11 months. It's going to be a much bigger deal than that. So anyway, uh, the bigger issue with Grace, in my opinion, is that she is so spoiled. And not in a way like we buy her everything. I mean, we're not rich at all. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, can you imagine, folks, if when you were five years old, and because of a series of circumstances, including the, the fires that happened in Ventura County uh, last month, I, I did the math on this. It's really re- remarkable and, frankly, sad. From November 17th of, of this year till January 8th, okay, when she goes back to school finally on January 8th, that's almost two months, she will have gone to school, she's in kindergarten, for 10 days. 10 days from November 17th to January 8th. So could you imagine if when you were five years old, having virtually no school, living in Southern California with perfect weather, having both parents effectively home with you at all times, and going through Christmas where you got everything you wanted plus some things you didn't even ask for. Can you imagine how happy you would have been? And Grace was definitely happy at times, but boy, does she bitch and moan. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so tiring. The whining and the crying and the bitching and the moaning. Oh, I mean, I, it's, it's like being married all over again. I mean, it, it's like being married to two women. That's what it's like, having a five-year-old daughter. Diana is the easiest. I mean, she's eight months old, and she's a dream. Anyway, hopefully Grace will have fond memories of her Christmas um, uh, because we certainly worked very hard to make sure that that happened. Of course, America got a big Christmas gift with regard to the one legislative achievement by the Republican Congress and by President Trump that occurred just before uh, Christmas, which was, of course, the big tax reform bill, which became law with Donald Trump's signature. And, you know, this has caused a lot of um, discussion among a lot of things, uh, but weirdly about the Never Trump movement, which I guess I'm a part of. I've been a Never Trumper from the beginning and never wavered from that. I'm even part of a a group that gets together every couple of weeks in D.C. I join via phone or Skype or whatever that are, you know, supposedly prominent uh, Never Trumpers. And... um, you know, I don't understand this. I'm not quite sure why. I guess the theory here or the narrative is, well, now that tax reform is passed, it's totally illogical to be a never-Trump Republican or a conservative, and therefore you've all been exposed as a bunch of losers and frauds, and um, you know, the, the never-Trump movement should be dissipated and, and never heard from again. That's the, that's the narrative from the, you know, the Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram... <laughs> Uh, Trump, Chuck, Tucker, Har- Car- Tucker Carlson wing of the conservative media. I don't understand this. I really don't. Um, one, because it's only it's a major accomplishment, uh, but it's only one out of dozens and dozens <laughs> that Trump promised. Uh, the way I look at this is that it's you know it's the old to to whom much is given, much is expected. I mean, Donald Trump was given the presidency with a Republican House and a Republican Senate, (laughs) which there's a very good chance that's not going to happen again the rest of my lifetime. 
And what did he do with it? What did he do with it? We got tax reform that was significant but not overwhelming with no budget cuts to go with it. So they're not paid for, all right? These tax cuts are not paid for. Now, let me be clear. As a conservative, I do not look at tax cuts as a cost to government. But that being said, there's absolutely going to be a reduction in revenue to the federal government. So the deficit and the debt will increase. So generally, before Trump, it was a conservative concept (laughs) that if you're going to cut taxes... You have to also cut spending at the same time. Otherwise, you're not being fiscally, and let's say it together, conservative. So there's very little, if anything, philosophically conservative about the tax reform law. Now, that being said, obviously, the corporate rate is much lower. That theoretically should save jobs. I don't know that it's going to gain jobs. I was talking to somebody um, with ties to Ireland, who's a businessman, uh, on Christmas about this very issue. And Ireland has become kind of a uh, a uh, hot-button topic because Ireland purposely reduced their rate to attract U.S. companies to come over. Well, I believe their rate is 13%. It's still way lower than what our rate is going to be now. So if you've already done that, are you going to come back for the right to pay higher taxes? I I doubt that. Now, there are other examples other than just Ireland. Now, it might stop a company from going overseas because now the the benefit of doing that has been reduced. But I don't know that it gets anybody to come back. Uh, And as far as the individual stuff, the individual reductions... There's some of that that seems good. Obviously, it's wonderful that a bunch of companies gave bonuses to their employees as a way to kind of kiss up to Donald Trump. That's all good, except, and I realize that this is something that people don't like to hear, because it's not paid for, here's what has effectively happened. Now, I realize if you're older, maybe you don't give a damn. And frankly, we live in a country where people don't care what happens next week. It seems to be what happens today that matters. But here's what really is happening with whatever tax cut you're getting. The government has just taken out a loan on your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren and given it to you at a ridiculously high interest rate. Now, you probably won't end up paying it, depending on your life expectancy. But somebody's going to have to pay for that eventually, again, because there was no reduction in spending. So, yeah, wonderful. Thanks. You gave me a loan that somebody else is going to have to pay off at a pretty high interest rate at some point down the road. Again, not conservative. But, you know, it gets Trump a big victory. I'm not going to crap all over the, the tax reform deal because I think it, in, on the whole it's probably better that it happened than it didn't, at least in the short run. Of course, since... <laughs> Since the economy, according to Trump, is booming now, I'm not sure why we needed it, right? I mean, the the whole concept was we needed to stimulate the economy. 
I, it looks like the economy is pretty damn stimulated, especially if you look at the stock market. And of course, Trump has not very little to do with where the stock market is. Well, I almost said where the Trump market is. Uh, Trump better be careful about this. Because when you, when you take credit for the stock market increasing, as he has numerous times, in a rational world, guess what happens eventually? Because it's happened throughout history. Eventually, the market comes down. Now, we have gone an incredibly long time, the longest of my lifetime and maybe ever, without the market having a significant pullback. And that's made me very nervous. Um, I'm nervous generally and a pessimist by nature. But... If you look at it, statistically, uh, this has never happened like this before. We are due for a pullback. So if and when that pullback happens, in a logical world, I guess that means Trump's responsible now, isn't he? Now, I realize Trump lives in a world where he only takes credit for things and hypocrisy doesn't matter. I get all that. But, again, in a theoretical, rational world, that's dangerous to do. Traditionally, presidents have not tried to take credit for the stock market. I think Reagan once in a while, you know, said, hey, isn't it cool that the market is at this particular stage or whatever, but never to the extent that Trump has done so. Um, but again, uh, you know, to be clear, overall, I think the tax bill now law is probably a good thing. Now, there's one element of this that is absolutely stupefying to me, and I will be speaking with Congressman John Yarmouth about this in hour number two. But this is just, it's just, I'm flummoxed. I'm absolutely stunned that this happened with so little fanfare. And that is the fact that the Obamacare individual mandate is now being removed. Now, my understanding is that doesn't take effect for a year, but it's going to be removed. And yet, nobody said anything about this. This was not even a major topic of discussion within the tax reform debate, to the extent that there even was a tax reform debate. Now, let's make it clear how insane this is, just from a narrative standpoint. The Obamacare individual mandate was the source of one of the biggest Supreme Court decisions of this century. <laughs> it was huge when the mandate was determined largely by John Roberts' rationalizations to be constitutional. It was massive. And that was seen by most people, most rational people, as the last real chance to kill Obamacare. Because especially once Obama was reelected, I've always felt like, okay, well, you know, it's kind of like uh, once a relationship has had a couple of babies, it's much harder to get the heck out of it. <laughs> you're never out of it once you've had kids. Well, once Obama's reelected, you're never out of Obamacare, realistically. You really can only add to it, which I'm going to get to in a second. But with regard to the individual mandate now being removed with very, I mean, just an insanely small amount of fanfare or discussion... You know, Trump's been going around saying he effectively repealed Obamacare, and people have been mocking him for that. They shouldn't be, <laughs> because while he didn't repeal it and replace it like he promised, he did kill it. He's going to kill Obamacare, which, if you don't like Obamacare, sounds conservative, except in the way it's going to happen. Because 
repealing and replacing with some sort of more conservative option, although I've never believed it was going to be very conservative if that ever happened. But in theory, okay, that might work. What we're doing instead is we're just killing with no replacing. We, this is a time bomb on the entire healthcare system. It's going to implode. There's no, it, it's no longer debatable. It is, this is the, the, the healthcare system is now a ship that has huge holes in it. And, and they probably already had holes in it to begin with, but now that the mandate's being removed, the holes, it's now the Titanic. I mean, there, there's no saving it. I don't know how long it will take. I don't know the exact way in which it will implode, but it's going to implode. We, we know this. There's no, there's no other option. But here's the really bad part that the, you know, the state-run conservative media won't tell you. So when's this going to happen? Well, it's very likely to start happening in 2019, early 2020, and right now, it looks like the Democrats are going to at least take the House of Representatives in 2018. Maybe even, based upon what happened in Alabama, shocking the world and taking the Senate. So now you've got the situation where, at the end of his first term, a lifelong Democrat-leaning liberal from New York who has been on record in fact, during the presidential campaign, saying he's in favor of single-payer socialized health care, you've got that guy in the White House with potential Democratic majorities. And he's already been saying he's expecting to be able to negotiate with Democrats on a health care fix. Gee, that's not a recipe for disaster. That's, that is because... Once you have a crisis, you got to fix it, right? Once it implodes, now it's got to be fixed, especially if, especially if Trump's going to run for re-election in 2020. So there has to be a fix. Well, the only way you plug the holes in a boat is by more government, not less government. Inherently, it's going to be more government, more money, more regulation, more socialized medicine. It's going to be... Obamacare on steroids. And it's all going to be because of this great tax reform victory that we achieved in Donald Trump's first year. And so this is emblematic of, to me, what the entire Trump presidency is about. Minor short-term gains that should have been way better than they were being offset in the long run by catastrophe. So don't give me this business that the never-Trumpers have been proven wrong. <laughs> Unless the world is scheduled to end in 2018, which, hey, we may, be, we may be heading that direction. But unless the world ends in 2018, in which case, you know what? Trump was a great idea. Because <laughs> if we're going to all go to oblivion, we might as well just have fun doing it. Just say, fuck everything. <laughs> 
And this, you know, just let it, let the ship sink and have a party on the on the deck to, deck of a Titanic. That's what we should be doing. And if, if, but no one knows that. No one told me that. I missed the memo. If, if in fact we, the world is ending at the end of 2018, I would reverse my entire opposition to Donald Trump, and I'd say, you know what? Fan fucking tastic. <laughs> this is the way to go. But to my knowledge, that's not going to happen. And. To assume that it's going to happen is pretty ridiculous. Uh, and, and of course, you know, to, to, to be blind to what is most likely going to occur, now, you know, things can change. There's a lot can happen between now and, for instance, the midterm elections. But I'm just talking about on the course we're currently on, this is what logic would dictate is going to happen. And so to be saying, oh, never Trumpers are totally wrong. And uh, they've been exposed as a bunch of frauds and hypocrites and people who were wrong and bitter that they were, they didn't jump on the Trump train. No, (laughs) no, it has never even remotely entered my mind that the position to be philosophically against Donald Trump was somehow invalidated because of tax reform being passed, tax reform, which I think is going to end up in the long run, causing a lot of problems for what's left of conservatism or the Republican Party. By the way, I I also wrote a column about this whole never Trump uh, debate, uh, which you can find at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Now, um, there were a couple things over Christmas break that Trump did that I actually uh, thought were fantastic. And this is, you know, this is the internal conflict that uh, people like me have with regard to Trump, because there are certain elements of him that I do like. The hatred of the news media is right up there, uh, although he always does it for him his own good. You know, that, that's the part I don't like. If he did it because it was the right thing to do or he was trying to really change the way the media works, that'd be awesome. Instead, it's all about defending himself for things that he's done wrong. <laughs> and fooling his cult into thinking that everything's fake. The other area where I sometimes like him is in the realm of political correctness. But again, it's always, always, always all about Trump. And he tweeted, because we're having all this very cold weather, as you probably are aware, through most of the country, although not here in Southern California, it's wonderful. In fact, after this, I'm going to go golf, and then I'm going to go swim. All right, so... (laughs) So... I hate to rub that into the rest of the country, but uh, the rest of the country appears to be under a deep freeze that's going to continue well into the first week of 2018. And Trump sent out a mocking tweet a couple of days ago, basically saying, you know, hey, you know, all those global warming people, um, it's going to be awfully cold. <clears throat> Good thing we didn't spend all that money that the rest of the, con- uh, com- uh, the, uh, the world did. Uh, with regard to trying to fight uh, global warming. I'm paraphrasing what his, his tweet was. And I, I thought it was great. Not because I don't think that the uh, climate might be changing or the globe might be warming or that I don't believe in science because that's, you know, the canard that the other side always uses. But to me, and I, and I tweeted this about the, the, the Trump tweet, to me... Because, of course, the response was, this is outrageous. Our president doesn't know the difference between weather and climate. I love that one. Yes, I get that there's a difference between weather, which is supposed to be, you know, a specific event, and the overall trend of climate. Except here's the rub. 
you arrogant assholes. The rub is that you guys always use weather to try to claim it as proof that there is climate change or global warming. You always do that. If, it, if instead of being 10 degrees across the East Coast and the Midwest or even colder than that for a whole week during the, the holidays as it's occurring right now, if instead of that we had a bunch of 65-degree days in New York City or Chicago or, or uh, you know, any other, you know, Boston, what have you, if, if that was the situation, I guarantee you, because it happens all the time. We'd be hearing about, wow, boy, it's awfully warm this Christmas. No white Christmas this year, thanks to climate change. That's always what they do. So the hypocrisy, now granted, Trump is a massive hypocrite himself, and I even wrote a column about that, uh, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com this week about how hypocrisy died in 2017. But I digress. Regardless of how much of a hypocrite Trump is, the pro-climate change, global warming people are also massive hypocrites on this issue of weather versus climate. And I've done this before, but it bears repeating since it is so damn cold and will be for a very long time based upon weather forecasts going into 2018. I don't ask that much on this debate. I really don't. I ask for consistency, which is don't try to tell me that if it's warm in the Northeast in January, that that's a sign of climate change or global warming, and then not have it be relevant that we're going through 10 days of bitter, bitter cold in December and early January. So I just ask for a little bit of consistency. And then the other thing I ask for is... uh, well, there's three things. The second thing I asked for is some predictions that turn out accurately. Not a lot. I don't, they don't need to be 100% accurate, but just some. Like, for instance, now, I don't consider Al Gore to be a serious person, but he's, he has you know, been taken seriously by the news media and won all sorts of awards for, for his work in this realm. But supposedly, nine years ago, well, I know this happened. That's not the supposedly part. But nine years ago, Al Gore said that there would be no polar ice you know, in the North Pole by now, by nine years later. Well, that's not, not remotely the case. And it's one of many predictions that people like him have made that never, ever pan out. Ever! So, number one, give me some consistency. and Don't be a hypocrite. Number two... Give me some predictions about what's going to happen and be right. And then number three, don't be so arrogant that you believe that you have to be right and that any debate about this is inherently off limits. (laughs) That's not a convincing argument. That the debate is over and that if you don't agree with our religion, that therefore you must be dumb or not believe in science or both. Because that's what they do always. I mean, I got all sorts of people coming after me because I simply, I simply tweeted when Trump did that, hmm, it seems awfully odd that the climate change people, the global warming people, are always willing 
to use weather to bolster their argument whenever it suits them. But when the shoe's on the other foot, oh, no, oh, that's, you can't do that. You don't understand. You don't understand. Well, you know what? Um, how about debating this? Because it's still, in my view, a very open question. And the other side, I believe, treats this, and they react, and I've seen it on Twitter and Facebook, they react very much like they are believers in a religion. And that I am committing blasphemy. Right. That's what they that's what they feel. And that, that's not a convincing argument to me, folks. In fact, that's an indication that you probably have no real basis for your argument. Blasphemy! He said it again. Yeah, that's 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 the reaction. And now that doesn't mean that that they're not right in some way. I am more than open to the idea that the climate is changing. Guess what? It always has changed, and it always will change. Until some—I mean, it's just so—it's just so— It's just flat-out ridiculous. That, that this idea that climate change is inherently horrible and man-made. When, you know, my family goes up to Yosemite almost every year. We didn't this year. But, you know, the Yosemite Valley. You know what created the Yosemite Valley here in California? Glaciers. Glaciers, massive glaciers, I think like nine, 10,000 years ago, created the Yosemite Valley. There are no more glaciers in California. None. Zero. And guess what? California has done pretty damn well. Granted, we got problems. We get earthquakes. We get wildfires, that type of deal. But um, weather-wise, kind of glad <laughs> That there's no more glaciers in California. I would say that's a net positive. It is a net positive that the glaciers are no longer in Yosemite Valley so that we can go and camp there in the summertime. Where it's actually pretty damn hot. But bearable because, you know, cool nights and that kind of deal. So the the notion, I I just love that liberals think that that the Constitution should be ever-changing. But the climate should be static and never change at all. As if there's some concept of perfect weather somewhere that's never existed. But uh, in this, you know, this in, in the larger picture about how humans think about things and how they're so easily duped, I, I am convinced that if there had never been a global warming climate change movement, right? that was massively promoted in the news media. If that never happened, and you just asked people, you know, just average Americans, you did a poll, do you think that the globe is generally warming or cooling? I am totally convinced that there would be a 50-50 split. Or maybe a third, a third, and a third. A third would say it was warming, a third would say it's not changing at all, and a third would say it's cooling. And it would be based totally in what their perceptions of what happened that particular year would be. Or maybe even that particular day. If you, if you took the poll in January, it'd probably be cooling. And if you took it in July, it'd probably be warming. But because people think that we're in the middle of climate change and or global warming, they perceive what are actually fairly normal 
but quote-unquote unusual weather events as having far more significance than they would have normally <laughs> because that's the way the human mind works. I, I've, I've you know, come up with a name for this phenomenon, uh, the Loch Ness Monster phenomenon, right? Nobody thought that there was a Loch Ness Monster until people started saying there was a Loch Ness Monster. And once there was this perception created mostly by media or word of mouth, whatever, that there is a Loch Ness Monster, all of a sudden, ripples in the water that used to just be ripples in the water, ah, oh, that's the Loch Ness Monster. Shadows that used to just be shadows in the water are now, aha, it's the Loch Ness Monster. Well, it's the same way. It's the same way. And, and the, the really frustrating thing about the climate changers is that they've set this up so it's impossible to defeat their argument because <laughs> there are those who say, well, actually, climate change is totally consistent with it being super cold. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You change this from global warming to climate change. You keep saying that the danger here is that the globe is, is warming, but extreme cold is also part of that. Okay, come on. Stop. 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 It's just flat out ridiculous. All right. So um, if you're in a cold area, I, I hope you stay warm. And enjoy the Rose Bowl on the New Year's Day because it's going to be uh, 77 degrees in Pasadena. And uh, it'll be beautiful. And most of the rest of the country will be, you know, inside freezing their butts off. Uh, another thing that uh, Trump said that I totally agreed with, and I wrote a column about this as well, dealt with uh, this interview that he did with the New York Times that's gotten a lot of play over the last couple of days. Now, there are elements of that interview that are batshit crazy. I will acknowledge. Uh, him claiming that uh, he has the total authority to do what he wants with the Justice Department, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, whether or not he has the balls to actually act on that, I uh, am skeptical. I'm not sure he actually has the balls to, to do anything about it, like firing Mueller, what have you. Uh, now, he says he hasn't fired Mueller because he thinks Mueller will be fair. He says there's no collusion, but, but, but it's not as convincing because in the, second, in the same breath as saying there was no Russian collusion, he also says, but if there was, that's not a crime. <laughs> what? What? How, is, how is that supposed to convince anybody of innocence? Look, there was no Russian collusion. But even if there was, that's not a crime. Because Alan Dershowitz told me so via Fox News Channel. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But in that interview, he also said, and he was roundly mocked for this, that the news media wants him to be reelected and, in fact, needs him to be reelected for economic purposes and that they will actually go easy on him, I'm paraphrasing, in the 2020 campaign, because without him, the failing New York Times would turn into the failed New York Times. Now, part of this, I'm sure, was Trump being Trump, which I'm fine with. I mean, that's his persona. You know, he's, there's something funny about that. Uh, he's needling the media. I like that. That's, that's all cool. 
But the larger issue here is actually very important. And I think is an issue where he's dead right. And people need to understand why he's dead right. And I've written a column for Mediate, which, again, you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, making the case that the media will never admit it, but Trump is absolutely right that they need him to win in 2020. Now, unless the Democrats can nominate somebody who will be in the same realm with regard to entertainment value and ratings potential, like Oprah Winfrey or Tom Hanks or The Rock, somebody like that. But assuming that that doesn't happen, I think there is a very good chance that the media looks around and goes, hmm, <sighs> we, really, we really want to give this up, huh? We really, I mean, every day we, we don't have to do any work. Uh, you know, we, we come in, we, we, we just look at whatever he tweets, whatever he says. we got another story for another day. This is easy. The ratings are good. Do we really want to end this? We really want to end this gravy train during a time period when our business model is busted. And, you know, maybe my salary will go down or maybe I'll get laid off. Do I really want to do that? I'm not saying it's not a conspiratorial thing. I think most of this is subconscious. But we've already seen the media react to Trump in this way. That's what the whole 2016 primary was all about. They gave him over $2 billion in free advertising. Why? Because they knew it was good for ratings. And they probably also thought, wrongly, like I did, that it would be good for Hillary Clinton because he would be the easiest person for her to beat. By the way, he might have been the easiest person for her to beat. She was just such a terrible candidate, she couldn't even do it, even though, yes, she did win the popular vote by about 3 million votes. But I digress. So uh, I, I think that Trump is on to something here. And I go into great detail about this. And part of why he understands this is he and the news media are very similar personas. The average bigwig media person has a lot of psychological similarities with Donald Trump. And none of them are positive qualities, by the way. I have great, I probably have more disdain for the average media person than Trump does. And I mean that seriously. Because Trump actually secretly likes a lot of these people because they kiss his ass or they give him attention. And that's really all he wants. But I've dealt with these, a lot of these same people from a very different standpoint. I'm not a celebrity and I'm telling them things they don't want to hear and I have no leverage. So I've gotten to see the real, <laughs> who these people really are. And they are just dreadful. Dreadful, horrible people. They are narcissistic, they are egomaniacs, they are insecure, they are dumb, they are arrogant, they are lazy. Well, those those are all things that Trump is too. (laughs) So the idea that Trump is able to understand and manipulate the news media is really not that much of a mystery. I'll tell you where else this is going to play a role, maybe even a stronger role than the election. I don't think, barring a massive catastrophe or, or Robert Mueller coming up with just gangbusters O.J. Simpson-like evidence, I don't think there's any chance that Donald Trump gets removed from office. 
because it's in no one's self-interest for him to be removed. The Republican Party doesn't have a self-interest, although they they might. They just don't won't realize it. The Democratic Party wouldn't have a self-interest in getting rid of him because they think they'll beat him in 2020. And he's, you know, he's toxic with regard to congressional elections. And the news media. Can you imagine the news media? If Trump gets impeached and there's an impeachment trial and the news media has to decide, hmm, do we want to keep Donald Trump in office and have him run for re-election? <laughs> or do we want President Mike Pence? <laughs> really? Uh, as I wrote in the column, this is kind of like, uh, you know, if the media were to make that decision to get rid of Trump for Pence, it would be kind of like a teenage boy having his favorite porn collection taken away and replaced with his mom's catalog magazines. Okay. <laughs> because, because there's that, not getting any excitement. They're not getting any excitement. <laughs> there's no stimulation out of a Mike Pence and there's no ratings either, out of a Mike Pence presidency, especially in comparison to a Donald Trump presidency and a re-election campaign. So there's no way Donald Trump's getting removed uh, from office. He, I do believe he'll be impeached if the Democrats take the House, but he will not be removed from office. I do recommend, again, check out that column I wrote at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. I've mentioned a couple times the, uh, the Russia story. There's an interesting development today in the New York Times, the failing New York Times, that really blows apart. I know this is shocking, but it appears as if the state-run, pro-Trump, supposedly conservative media has blown it again. And this whole fantasy that the Russia investigation began with that dossier, you know, the the P-tape business that supposedly was originally funded by the Hillary campaign, and I've just never bought it. None of that is, it's all just bullshit. It's all just muddying the waters, confuse people, get the cult riled up. And frankly, it's all been an indication that there's something very wrong because you don't even engage in those types of tactics unless you've got something you're really worried about. So to me, that whole business and the Uranium One bullshit story, that's all been, frankly, to me, way more consistent with somebody's guilt whether it's Trump or just people very close to him, than it is with any explanation for for this all being a witch hunt, especially since I I don't believe that Robert Mueller is that kind of guy. But we now have learned from the New York Times that, guess what, it wasn't the dossier at all that started this. It was actually a tip from Australia. And that the tip came from this Papadopoulos dude that the campaign has referred to as a coffee boy. Now... When you read the New York Times article, again, this is the New York Times, which I am more than willing to believe because I've dealt with them on stories where they've blown it. But this is a big-time story. They got their best people on it. And this is the same New York Times that the President of the United States is voluntarily giving impromptu interviews to while, while in his golf bar and grill. I mean, that's what happened. That's that's what the, was the nuttiest part of the New York Times interview. He's done playing golf. He's 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 in his basically his pro shop or the grill room and he just does a one-on-one impromptu unplanned interview with no aids with the New York Times. <laughs> but anyway, so you can't tell me that the New York Times is some sort of evil entity when Trump is giving them impromptu half-hour interviews with no aides in the same week. But according to the New York Times, 
Um, this Papadopoulos guy was no coffee boy. That he was integral to the campaign and specifically with regard to the relationship and the words that were being used with regard to Russia. Now, does that prove anything? No. But it goes back to my number one issue on the whole Russia collusion topic. Why all the lies? Why all the lies? No one has been able to explain that to me. Why all the lies? Why all the muddying of the water? Why all of the charges, the bullcrap charges against Robert Mueller, who's a good man? Why? If you're innocent, there's no need for any of that. There's no need for all the lies. There's no need for all the distortions and the distractions. There's no need to destroy good people. You're the president of the United States. I realize elements of the news media are out to get you. But you have your own media industrial complex. If the truth is on your side, let the truth come out and you will be fine. So, you know, just leaving aside what we think we know the evidence to be, which frankly is not 100% convincing as of yet. I'm just talking about the atmospherics, the big picture. I got problems. I, 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 I keep going back and forth, inching back between there's a lot here, there's not that much here. I still don't think it's going to be proven because I think we would know that by now. But there's absolutely something there because there's just too much lying. Too much lying. And without any explanation. All right, so um, that'll do it for uh, hour number one of the uh, World According to Zig podcast. We've got three hours uh, scheduled this week because uh, of a couple of reasons. But one is because I absolutely have to give you an extensive analysis and an update on the whole Penn State uh, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky story because of what the Washington Post did just a couple of days ago. So you will not want to miss that. Even if you're not even that into the story, you will not want to miss hour number three. And in hour number two, our very favorite guest, uh, Congressman John Yarmouth, Democrat from Louisville, Kentucky, will be joining us uh, to discuss some of the same topics we've already talked about in hour number one, but from a very different perspective. And it's always fun to talk to John. So make sure you check out hour number two. Um, so make sure you have a happy new year. We will be back next week with another edition of the world according to Zig podcast. Check out our number two and three. And as always, I ask only two things of you. Number one, please share this via social media, Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. 
That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.